the uh, second letter to Timothy, chapter 3 and verse 1 is our text of emphasis today. 2 Timothy 3, 1, it says this, mark this, there will be terrible times in these last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Let's pray. God, as we now take time to consider uh, your word, we pray for insight and understanding on who you are and who you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. When people of uh, faith think of the, the last days, uh, it's often referred to as some uh, time that's coming in the, in the not-too-distant uh, future, like a, an author who will comment on the ills of contemporary society by placing their, their story a few decades uh, out ahead of the current uh, time. But the, in the, the twist that we're wrestling with uh, today um, in our series Spoiler Alerts, and so our spoiler alert is, is now, the twist in the narrative and the story of the New Testament is that the Apostle Paul, who is writing here to another young disciple, Timothy, in the first century, uh, that he seems to indicate that these last days aren't something that are off in the distant uh, future, but are actually something that Timothy himself uh, would experience right there in, in there in the first century. Paul had to instruct Timothy to, I quote, have nothing to do with such people, and the implication is that Paul is going to meet enemies of the, of the church, if you will, uh, and the last days will have, have started. Many Bible students um, support this idea by supporting that the, the language, the last days, is actually uh, referring to the entire uh, Christian age since Jesus' uh, resurrection and his ascension. We've been in the last days, if you will, and that the language is slightly different than another common term, uh, the end of time. And so the last days. And so the implication is that uh, we, you and me, live in the biblical last days and that Christians have existed since Jesus' ascension in the time of the last uh, days. And what's maybe more, more surprising as we think about this is that uh, as we consider the description of the enemies of the disciples in the last days, we realize, or I realize, that these attributes uh, hit really close to home. Because if I really think about it, the attributes of uh, the, the enemy 
of Timothy in the church sometimes have described my own behavior. And I would I guess that uh, if we all thought about our last month, we might find something in this list that describes us. Uh, lovers of oneself, lovers of money, boastful, uh, proud, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy. It actually sounds like a list of attributes of a contemporary politician. <laughs> Any politician, not one in particular, just in case you're concerned. Unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good. If I'm honest with myself, I have fallen into the trap of acting in th these ways at times, even recently. And so, maybe the biggest uh, twist here is not the fact that we are alive and living in the last days, but that uh, oftentimes our own behavior mirrors very closely those in which Paul describes to Timothy as being enemies, enemies of the church who have a form of godliness but deny its actual power. And so we're left with the question, what's, what's going on? Why, why is it that professed uh, Christians uh, end up not differing that much from those who Paul identifies as being uh, the enemies of the people of faith? There's, a, there's an old... Um, adage in, in Christian circles, in church circles, let's say that, in church circles, um, kind of describing a supposed process that a person goes through to become a, a church member or a follower or a, a Christian. And the, the adage is this, that you, you belong, you believe, and then you behave. So this is used as almost a formula for what it, what it takes to make a, a Christian, to make a church member. You, you belong, you believe, and then you uh, behave. And it's, it's supposed to go something like, like this, um, that a, a person um, belongs to a community. So if you want to you wanna become a, faith, a person of faith, that you, that you go and make yourself a part of a, a community of faith, or if you're a church that you try to do everything that you can to help people to, to belong in part of the uh, community, that this is the starting point for the, the Christian journey that a person belongs, and so, um, and so the churches will do things to encourage people to, to come together and have activities and, and programs and and certainly here at Advent, Advent Hope, we, we have activities and things that we, we want people to, to become engaged. And, and so we, we, we even use this model to some extent. And so the idea is that as a, per, as a person feels like they, they belong, that'll be the, the initiation for other steps along this journey to becoming a church member or a, a Christian. And so then the next uh, step is that a person goes from feeling like they're part of the community and that they like this thing, that then they start to believe that the, the church community will, will offer classes. And you, you, you go to that, those classes and you learn all the things that the church uh, teaches and that you then sit in those classes. And by the way, we have classes here. We're doing a class at, at 2.30. Some of you have been in our in our classes. So you, 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 you come and you learn about what the, the, the church teaches and the, all the intricacies, and then you're supposed to kind of intellectually assent to those things, and at that point you, 
you, you intellectually believe. And so you, you belong, you start with belonging to part of a community, then you move on to, to, to believing, you learn everything that the community teaches, and uh, you intellectually assent to those ideas. You, you, you agree with those things. And then, and then uh, finally, you behave. That you, you start shifting your behavior to match the behavior of the, the church culture. And so you start doing what other people do in the, in the, in the church, and you, you adjust yourself to, to have that behavior. And so belong, believe, behave is a, has been a formula for what it takes to make a good church a member. The problem is, when it comes to really making followers of Jesus, the belong, believe, behave process hasn't really worked. It's, it's kind of like, um, like this. I, we, Levi and Jude, my, my two boys, played in the Yorkville Baseball League last fall. On 91st Street, there's a little field. We went up there every Sunday morning and spent a good part of our Sunday hanging out at the, the field for the Yorkville baseball uh, games. And so I was talking to a, a, one of the other parents there, a guy I would say he was in his you know, 60s, 65. He had a young son who was playing on Jude's team. And uh, we started ch- chatting, and he started telling me about uh, a couple summers prior when he had signed up for Yankee fantasy camp, Yankee fantasy camp. Now, I'm a, I'm a fan of the Baltimore Orioles, and, we're, we're, and, we, and we are, <laughs> how can you boo an Oriole? It was a little bird. <laughs> they're, they're, kind of, they're kind of mortal enemies of the, 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 of the Yankees. But we're so sad because we haven't won anything since 1983. Um, and you Yankee fans, you are, you are so obnoxious. You have everywhere you say you've won 20, is it 27 or 28 championships? How many? Like the most in any of any perspe- professional sport in the, in the world? You're so obnoxious. But we love you. I love you. Um, so, so I'm talking to this guy, and he goes to Yankee camp. Now, I will admit that if I had the opportunity to go to Yankee camp, I would go to a Yankee cab, and he told me that uh, you go out, you know, it's, it's in the off-season when the players are not playing in the, in the major league, and so you go, and you, you get your cap, you get your, your shirt, and, and you belong there, because you've, you've paid your fee, and you're hanging out, and you're getting talking, and you're in the dugout, and you're having a good time with the Yankees, old and new. You're hanging out with Yankees of yesteryear, and and Yankees of today, and it sounds amazing. And so you, you, you've paid your money, and you, uh, you belong there. And then, of course, if, if, if you're there, you're, you're already probably a believer in the Yankees. I mean, you believe in those championships. You, you have, you, you know, T-shirts with every championship listed on the, on the front of the back of the shirt. It's so obnoxious. You're a believer. And then, and then, and I find this most funny, especially thinking of this, this guy, you know, again, he's, he's, his, his 
hope for professional baseball days were long past, but I'm imagining him in his, in his uniform hanging out with the Yankees, and then they take you out and you get to go out on the field and you play uh, baseball. And you know, you do the, the, the behavior, you get down, you know, so I'm gonna imagine him in there out there like playing with the the team and so and so we're talking and he's his eyes are just lighting up and he's he's very excited about uh, this experience of having been to Yankee camp and I admit I would I would go if I had the opportunity and and so I think I'm thinking of this this process this this system that is uh, purported to to make uh, Christians, to make church members belong, believe, and behave. And then we think about the, the implications that it really hasn't done a great job of really making followers of Jesus. And it's very similar to this, to this, this guy. I mean, he's out there, he's got his, 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 his cap on, and he, he belongs there. He's even gotten to know some of, the, some of the players, and he's a good guy, and he's a funny guy, and he's hanging out. And so he's there, he has every good reason to be there, and he belongs And then he believes in what the organization is about and what they're doing. And he's behaving like a player, but he would tell you, just like me, that if he actually was put in a real major league game, it would be terrifying. I mean, can you imagine walking out on the field to play shortstop for the New York Yankees and, you know, you haven't strapped on the cleats in 20 years? When it really comes to becoming a player, to becoming a New York Yankee, you, you, you can't just have belonging and believing and behaving. You, 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 this is beyond you. This is beyond you. And so as we think about this reality that the behavior of, uh, that's described of the the enemies of the church in the last day often isn't that different than the behavior of, of people who assert themselves are Christians. We have to ask what's going on, and the reality is that the church has done a really, really great job at making church members, and not a fantastic job of making followers of Jesus. We've helped people to, to belong, to feel like they belong to something. And we've helped people believe intellectually ideas we have a lot of ideas, and we've spent literally 2,000 years making up new ideas and, and formulating how we can articulate them better and trying to convince people that our ideas are the best ideas. And then the church spends a real lot of time trying to pe get people to behave properly, right? And you go to one church, and they've got one set of ways to behave. You can wear this. You can't wear that. You can't eat this. You can't eat this. You can do this. You can't do this. We're in the behavior. We love some behavior. We're down, we're down in the crowd. This is how you behave. This is how you do it. But the sad truth is that this doesn't naturally lead to a person becoming a follower of Jesus. And is it, is it this and where the, the problem lies that uh, we've created people who are church uh, members who belong, believe, behave, but haven't yet become haven't yet become true followers. So how, to, how does that, that step happen? 
How does a, a person go from just becoming a part of the, the group, being a part of the group to, to becoming a follower of Jesus? And we think about the narrative of, of the Bible and how God reveals himself to people. We think of uh, the story of uh, Paul himself, who wrote this letter to, to Timothy. He knows what it means to, to, to have experienced Jesus. And we think of his story of becoming. He didn't, he didn't, there was no system or formula. He became, in very dramatic fashion, he was, he was an anti-Christian. He was a, a killer of Christians. And in fact, the, the, the moment in which he had a transformation in his, in his life, he was on uh, the road headed to to round up and kill more Christians. And we're told that on that journey, Jesus, the risen Jesus, appeared to him, appeared to him in dramatic fashion, and then gave him an invitation. The Lord called, and he said, uh, yes. And so Jesus invited the man named Saul, the, the killer Saul, invited him into a relationship with him that transformed and changed his, his life. And this, this pattern of Jesus inviting and the follower of Jesus, or maybe not the maybe the enemy, maybe, maybe the person who's just culturally a, 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 a believer, has a, a, a transformative moment in their experience when they accept that invitation. We see it again in, in the Gospel of, of Matthew where uh, Jesus is starting his work and he, and he starts recruiting people to join him. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, we read this. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, they were casting a net into the lake because they were fishermen. And Jesus invited them, come and follow me. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in their boat with their father. And again, he said, come follow me. And immediately they threw aside their nets and they uh, followed him. And so we see this pattern this pattern of what it really takes in being a follower of Jesus to, to, to start to appear. A pattern of Jesus making a simple invitation that is not all that complex. Sometimes the invitation happens in dramatic form or fashion like it did for Saul who became Paul. Or sometimes it's just in, a, in a, a simple invitation when a couple of guys are out doing their work. Jesus comes to them and invites them to follow him. And then he takes those, those people and he transforms their life from top to, to, to bottom. Once they accept that, that invitation to, to follow, he does his transformative uh, work in them. And so we read the story of the disciples who spent three and a half years with Jesus. And they had their ups and downs. Sometimes they were fantastic. They, they were the best students that you could ask for. And sometimes they were horrific to the point at the end of Jesus' life where they all abandoned him. And one of them, one of his star students has, has, has turned against him. And so the, 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 the journey of being a follower of Jesus has its ups and 
and downs, but it's rooted in this idea that Jesus makes an invitation to people, a personal invitation to people. And as we embrace that invitation, God starts doing his work inside of us. And this is a a, a work that abolishes the idea of simply being a cultural follower, a cultural Christian. And let me tell you, I mean, there there is a a great problem in, in Western Christianity of cultural, cultural Christians. As Paul says, those who, who, who profess to have a form of godliness but don't have any of the power. And listen, the reality is the church perpetuates this idea because we have these formulas like belong, believe, behave that don't have the power of becoming. In the day and age in which the world is increasingly being revealed as broken. Broken societies, broken cultures, broken people. The simple idea that God invites and our response is simply to follow is profound. There is no formula. I know some of you are, are looking for growth in your life, spiritual uh, growth. And you've probably, because it's the way the church has worked, you've probably sought out some formula. There's got to be a formula for, to, to grow stronger. And if I only follow that formula, you know, I need to start reading my Bible more each day, a certain, certain amount of time each day, or I need to be praying a certain amount of time each day, or whatever the formula is, and we've got a billion formulas in the, in the, in the church. And so we try the formula over and over and over again, and it doesn't really do what we want it to do. Maybe you're really great for a, for a month, but then it doesn't really, it doesn't really continue. And that's because there's, 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 there's no power in a formula alone. Power comes when Jesus makes a personal invitation, and we respond to that personal invitation wherever whenever it happens. This is, the, this is the evidence from the story of those who were followers of Jesus in the Bible. Jesus came and made a simple invitation, and they followed. And then he started working in their experience. And each day there was a new invitation, and each day there was new following. And some days they were, they were better at following than, than others. And sometimes they were more receptive to the invitation than others. But as that process kept happening... God was able to do things in their experience. And, and for those disciples who had spent three and a half years with Jesus, each day a process, each day a new invitation, each day a decision whether to, to respond or ignore. And I'm sure there were some days where they responded and some days they, they didn't. Three and a half years and they still haven't gotten in. And it's not until they are, they are addressed by the risen Jesus and an invitation from that Jesus comes to them that they really experience the transformation that, that made all the difference in their lives and in the experience of the church. And so as we, as we think about this reality, that the Apostle Paul is telling us, listen, 
if you're waiting for some far off distant time when the last days are going to be here, you're too late. The la- we, we are in the crunch time. We are in the last days. This is the, the since Jesus' ascension, it's serious. And yet, the plague of cultural Christianity is so real that most of the time you can't tell the difference between a person who is a, a part of a church, a part of an, and, 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 and the, what's described as the enemy of the church. You can't tell a difference because the behavior is almost the same. And so Jesus' invitation is, I can do something transformative in your experience. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 We are designed to be God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to live a transformed life. God inviting us responding. God inviting us responding. And there's no formula for this other than we listen and we respond. And then when we do that, God is able to do things in us which we can't do for ourselves. And then we can be identified as true followers of Jesus, unique people in a broken world. In John chapter 13, we read this. Again, the words of Jesus. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. This is going to be the distinguishing figure of a follower of Jesus, that you'll love each other. A radical love in a broken world is the identifying feature of a true follower of Jesus. And so Jesus' invitation is to to reject the cultural Christianity that is so so prominent today, but has been prominent since the time he was here. Thus, Paul has to mention it, having a form of godliness, believing, belonging, behaving, but not actually have becoming. God wants us to become something new in him, and he's promised that in us, He can do for us what we can't do for ourselves. So as we think about what we want to be as a a church community and what we want to be as individuals, and as you maybe contemplate your own uh, uh, brokenness and your own reality in light of of the words of, of, of Paul and the attributes that are there of the enemy of the church and recognize that sometimes that may hit too close to home, there's hope. That as God speaks to us and invites us, and I would suggest to you that this happens every single day. I, I was in, we had a, one of our, our groups that met in the fall that had a, a, a profound impact on me. Uh, it was called Faith Lab. Some of you were there, and we journeyed together uh, just trying to understand what it means to be a, a follower of Jesus. And uh, one of the highlights for me of that journey was just being intentionally responsive each day by offering a confession each day as the day starts. 
In other words, recognizing God's open invitation. And this is the, this is the, this is the truth of the, of, of the Bible, that every day God is inviting us into relationship with him. And so we tried to be intentional, and it's had an impact on me to this day that's been months ago, that every day I'm going to start by just recognizing and, not, and acknowledging that God is inviting me into a new kind of relationship today. And that's had an impact, some days more of an impact than others. But there's something, there's something beautiful about knowing that, that God's work in us does not rely on a formula. It doesn't rely on you, you praying more. It doesn't re, re, revolve around you reading your Bible more. Don't get me wrong. Those things are beautiful. Pray. Read your Bible. But if you think, ah, if I don't pray and I don't read my Bible and I don't have devotional time today, that's it. It's not how it works. There's no formula. There's Jesus gives us an invitation, and we respond to that day. And so in Faith Lab, we learn a, a, a simple confession that each day to, to, to acknowledge God's invitation and to respond to that. And so I found that to be helpful. I don't know what it's going to be for you. But to know that each day God is inviting you into a new kind of relationship with him, and to be aware of that might be a starting point. There's no formula. There's nothing that more reading or praying necessarily is going to do. Do that. Read more. Pray more. Certainly, the evidence of Jesus and the disciples is they did a lot of studying and they did a lot of uh, praying. But what was most important is that when God invited them into a, a relationship, they responded. It's my belief that God invites each and every one of us every day into a new kind of relationship with him. And so my prayer for you and for us as a church community that we will be aware today tomorrow, the next day, of what God's invitation is for us and that you can follow and that we can become God's handiwork made in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Oh God, we're thankful for the simple message that it's your work in us that gets the job done. And so I pray for those here, myself included, who sometimes want to do the work on our own and get frustrated by not being very good at it, by not being good at making the changes and becoming the kind of people that we want to be. And so I pray that you will reveal yourself to us and that we can hear and see your invitation, whatever it may be, today, tomorrow, the next day. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.